My name is Gavin Gee. I'm Joseph A. Smith, Jr. Hi, I'm Buzz Gorman. My name is Bill Matthews. My name's Tom Grunstall. My name's Darren Domang. Neil Milner. John Ryan. My name's Steve Antonakis. And this is an oral history of the start of the nationwide multi-state licensing system, better known as NMLS. Thank you once again for joining us. If you're listening, it means you've reached the fifth and final episode of this series. You've heard the history of the creation and adoption of NMLS in about as much detail as we could provide in a podcast. But it's really rare for me to get so many professionals into the recording booth with so many years of experience. I started counting it up, and in total, there's more than 200 years of collective experience between these nine guests. So I thought it would be nice to have one final episode reflecting on the impact of NMLS and hearing some wisdom. I'm going to tee up just a few questions and let the guests do the rest of the talking. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy. What stands out in your mind as the most important thing that NMLS does for the industry, for the country, for supervision? Well, it, it does a number of things. First of all, it produces data. Data can be analyzed, uh, it can be published, uh, and it, uh, it levels the playing field. Uh, the other thing that it does is it shares information among all the regulators. And so if you have someone who has had a problem in one jurisdiction and goes to another jurisdiction, that regulator knows, uh, knows about that. So that is that was a game changer. And so it created a network for the states uh, in order to work together, but still preserve their sovereignty in regulating uh, a individual or a company. And another um, significant aspect of the system was the efficiencies that it uh, provided to not only regulators to the industry as well, having uniform forms uh, that all states would accept with minimal um, out of system state specific requirements was significant. I remember talking with Jeff Cash a couple of years after NMLS launched. He uh, uh, at the time was with Wells Fargo and they had. Uh, uh, had opposed the system significantly prior to its launch. And Jeff came up to me at an armor conference and he said, you know, I just wanted to say we, we pulled everything out of uh, the non-depository world and put it into the bank. And now uh, we just, uh, we switched our model and we uh, put it out uh, back into the non-depository world uh, for, uh, to get state licensed. And we could not have gotten licensed as quickly as we did. We probably saved a couple of years in the process because of NLS. So for me, that was uh, a wonderful moment to have someone oppose the system in a very strong manner um, and then come back and say, 
here there was significant value to this system for us uh, because of the efficiencies um, that it brought. I think the most important thing is that it clearly demonstrated the ability of the states to address a significant problem and find a solution that really worked. You know, and I thought more than anything, it really helped bring the states together and laid the foundation, you know, for what also became, which we were working at the time, the Multi-State Mortgage Committee, uh, and, and just these coordinated efforts, you know, as these non-banks, you know, not only the mortgage space, but in, in other areas, continued to grow in size and sophistication and, you know, moving away from the process of, you know, 50 disparate, uncoordinated exams to that kind of one broader examination approach to, to, to me was was really um, at the onset I thought was the most important and really became and I think it, I do think it's the legacy of the NMLS. One, it's created a sense of the possible and what we can do when we work together. Uh, it, it's it's an expression of you know what's often said but not always acted on these kind of shared values and goals that our members have. And it has created, you know, what I'm now referring to as network supervision, but this connective tissue in a system where each state was responding, trying to do what they thought was the right thing, um, and created, it's, it's shined a light, it's created transparency and accountability, it's really powerful. And a, a, so a network of regulators that are closer to the consumers, their legislators are closer to the consumers, but they're also closer to the industry we're trying to regulate and we can be accountable in the things that we're doing that might be inefficient or not necessarily, you know, helping to advance consumer protection or the stability or safety and soundness of the system. We're just kind of redundant or different efforts that we can address and deal with those issues in a reasonable way. It's, it's really created a framework for supervision that supports really high aspirations of our democracy, that we can have a democracy that functions um, in sometimes inefficient ways with all these decision makers that can end up um, finding efficiencies when it needs to, to really advance the fundamental interest. And that's the interest of the economic well-being of communities, individuals, our financial system, our country. So I, I, I think it's a model of how we can work together. And state federal, there are state federal components that are really important. And it became a foundation. HUD was really in the implementing phase, a great partner to work with. And the transference of authority from HUD to the CFPB uh, was really positive and a good place for us to start in our work with a new regulator that was going to intersect with our world a lot. So you mentioned the states innovating together um, and you talk about the state federal partnership. Uh, the state federal partnership is is pretty unique to the U.S. I mean, there's some other places with something similar to it, but but nothing quite like it. In your view... If the state part of that state federal partnership didn't exist, what would we lose? What is it about the states that creates this type of innovation that you see in, in, in MLS? 
this is what has motivated me for the last 25 years. So, so the state system of supervision is, is very different from the federal su- supervision. Um, the state supervision is you have local leaders um, in charge of supervising local activities. So the states are where the consumer meets the company. So that's where the transaction takes place. That's where the rubber meets the road. Um, and so the states are very, and governors don't get reelected if if things go bad. And so they're very concerned about what happens in my state. And so that's the that's the focus. The other focus that that's missing from the federal level is economic development at the local level. So you have consumer protection and economic development sitting side by side, and and that those that push and pull going on in the minds of the federal regulators, where you don't have that at the federal level. As a matter of fact, the CFPB and we love the CFPB, um, but the CFPB is like. Yeah, we can't handle that hundred thousand dollar problem you're having. That's not, you know, we've got other fish to fry. Call us when it gets to a to be a ten million dollar problem, and then they've got the resources that that even some states don't have, and they make a very effective partner with the states to to help go after those problems. But in the meantime, you have, you know, Mrs. Finch who deposited her, you know inheritance into her account so she could pay off her house and it didn't get into her account and and something funny happened with that that money and she's about to get evicted you know you can't go to the cfpb for that that's just not something you can but that is something you can call you know gavin gee or or uh steve antonakis at the time uh, Tom Gronstall at the time, and and say, hey, I got a real problem here. They're about to boot me out of my house, and it's their fault, and and get some action. So, federal preemption and a total federal system just don't make sense in my mind. It's it's it's. I always tell people that CSBS is at the corner of Hamilton and Jefferson. So Hamilton wanted to centralize the banking system. Um, and the concern was that that would be to the benefit of the big cities and the federal government, uh, whereas Jefferson was concerned about the agrarian economy and and would capital be cut off for you know the local farmers, and so that was the tug of war. And I see that today uh, as well. You know, is is you know the local guy that wants to set up you know the pet store that that sells funny pet clothing. Um, you know, is he going to get a loan? Well, if he only had national banks and they were all out of New York um, or or Washington, D.C. or wherever, you know, would that person get the loan or not? Uh, one, one example that I thought was fascinating was um, uh, one of my former favorite beers, Sierra Nevada. Um, they went from bank to bank to try and get money and big bank to big bank. And nobody would give them money. And finally, a local guy that like sat next to the guy at a Rotary Club or whatever was like, yeah, no, we'll fund you. And they became one of the biggest family-owned uh, breweries in the country. Um, and I just happened to like beer. So it's like, would that have happened if there were not a state system? Uh, I don't think it would have. 
And and so I think that that all these new things that you're seeing, these fintech companies, right now they're licensed at the state level, and there's thousands and thousands of them, you know, coming up and either failing or succeeding. And then the big ones are like, oh, we can't handle the state system. We need a federal alternative that preempts state laws. No, we need a state system that works well together. We need a state system that can handle these big agencies or big companies that, that you know, started out at the state level and grew. Um, we need We need a state system that coordinates and cooperates we need network supervision at the state level because we need to keep authority at the state level. Um, that's that I believe in my heart uh, for the last 25 years is is why CSBS is critical. The issue for state regulators is to is to what I call earn independence by not cultivating but by showing how the, what they are doing um, has integrity is for the public interest only, serves everyone regardless of political affiliation. I mean, I just think the states are able to do and have done, uh, exemplify uh, that kind of uh, uh, what I would call judiciousness, neutrality, um, fairness, and a sense of the public interest. In all of your work on NMLS and all of your work in, in the state agency, what do you think are some key takeaways that states can or, or that anyone can apply to today or the future about this entire journey? Uh, relish the, um, the opportunity of doing something different or new. Um, I was fortunate in my career to touch just about everything that our office did uh, from a regulatory sp- perspective, with one exception, with the exception of, of securities. Um, and, and it really helped me. I had an under, uh, at least a, a basic understanding of, of every single program um, that we had jurisdiction over uh, with the exception of securities. And um, so, uh, you know, I would, to some, a new examiner coming up, I would say uh, seek out additional opportunities as they are. Uh, volunteer when, you, when, when you're asked. Really, really helpful is, is when you're asked to participate on national groups with other regulators. You can learn a tremendous amount from other regulators. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's always some kind of work group uh, or committee or board um, uh, that uh, Armour or NMLS or some of our other um, associations are, are, uh, are, are participating in or looking for participation in. And I think those are great, great opportunities. I think given, given my experience, uh, you know, going back a lot of years with uh, first with the securities industry and then with mortgage. Uh, I think it's really, really important for state regulators to be on the alert and lookout for developing problems that could turn into a crisis. Because that was very critical to the success of NMLS with the mortgage industry. You know, the state regulators saw the problems, saw that they were growing, saw that the industry was changing, saw that there were abusive practices, saw that consumers were being abused and needed to do something, needed to act, needed to prevent those kinds of abuses and the, and, and the things that were happening. So I think one of the key lessons learned is that's what we need to do as state regulators. We need to stay on top of what's happening in our marketplaces that we need to um, find out who's who's doing that, 
why is it happening? Where is it happening? And what can we do uh, as state regulators about it? And in addition to that key uh, for individual state regulators is uh, communicating those findings to other state regulators through our national associations like CSPS and uh, alert them to what we're seeing on the ground, you know, in our individual states. If we just, uh, you know, if we just ignore it and hope it goes away, that can be fatal. As these different industries innovate in the various states, the regulators need to respond to that to both promote and control the innovation. Uh, the innovation is is a very important because uh, that that's how how the economy gets improved. Controlling it is important because that's how you you keep the playing field level and you don't get into something like we had in 2008. Simply Stated is a podcast produced by the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. I'm Matt Longacre, Director of Communications at CSBS. This podcast on the history of the NMLS is a special series. Thank you to everyone who volunteered to be interviewed, the team at CSBS who handled recording logistics from afar, and the entire communications staff for their contributions to this great series. Thanks again for listening.